Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. I'm a coach, healer, and author. You can learn more about me at theandygrant.com. Thank you for joining us today. One of my favorite things about doing Real Men Feel is the fantastic people that I get to meet and then introduce to people like you. So many of my guests have gone on to become friends. And today is cool because I have a friend becoming a guest. I'm so glad I've gotten back to these regular guy chats this year because there is just tremendous value in the authentic sharing of a regular guy, of just a man sharing what he's gone through. There's tremendous wisdom and insight there. So I hope that's what you'll get from today. Again, I'm happy to welcome my friend and Mankind Project brother, Sean, to the show. Hey, how are you? Very good. Good to see you, man. I want to make sure I brought my uh, New York pride with me, a little Yankee. Yeah, I freaking noticed that oh. nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> we, we need to get back to this. See, we, we, with the sports situation being what it's been, we've lost a lot of the great banter that I think connects all men together in a certain way. Well, I have my Tom Brady Bucks jersey on the way. Could show up any moment. <laughs> oh, um, mass exodus of Patriots fans. <laughs> yeah, next year they play each other. It's going to be interesting. So how has a year-long pandemic been affecting you, my friend? Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> you know, it's been interesting because I've always been a huge, huge extrovert. You know, I'd say professionally and socially, I probably spend before the pandemic 20, 25 hours outside the house, outside the office, even meeting with people, being with people, social clubs, cigar clubs, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff, big family get togethers. That was a huge, huge part of my life. And it was interesting because it all happened just like that. It was like all of a sudden the kids, you know, the programs shut down for the schools. Also the kids were home e-learning all day. And then all of a sudden we shut down our offices professionally. So we couldn't go into the offices. So for the better part of a year now, I think probably we're probably coming up on a year now I've been home. And it was interesting too, because at the time I started married and I ended up the year divorced in a new place. So it was just a lot of transition on top of not having that extra support of the extroverted world that I was part of. So a lot of those friends and people like that, I didn't, I no longer could go hang out with or get a hug or hang out and just disconnect. It was all either Zoom calls, phone calls, and they're all going through the same transition. So it was just, a, it was a mess for a while. So needless to say, it's been a very challenging year, just going through just multiple, multiple transitions in my brain of my personality and the social circles and everything. It's just, it's all changed. I'm not sure when I get back to, even if this vaccine works, I'm not even sure if the guy I am now wants to be that guy that was there before. So it's an interesting dynamic that I've been through. Well, the good side, I would say, is I don't think you have a choice. I don't think you can go back. Even if you're going, I want to be me two years ago, even if you weren't aware of the growth and changes, but yet just so much has changed. Right. So was a divorce on the horizon pre-pandemic or was that, was that part of what happened to your relationship? On her end, I think it was. <laughs> on mine, you know, if I can share that stuff, you know, you and I met at Mankind Project on a new warrior training weekend that we did together. And at the time, I could see that a lot of aspects of my life were out of balance. And there was just a lot of pain and other things that just had to be dealt with. And a good friend of mine had asked me multiple times ago, and I finally broke down and said, yeah, I'll do it. And at that time, I think the relationship, it was definitely rocky. We've had a lot of rocky moments. We got married pretty young. I mean, I was married for 16 years. We were together for 19, all together, almost 20. I knew her in high school. We went to college together. I mean, there's just a lot of different aspects where it's a very, very long relationship. I have two kids. And I think there was a lot of pieces that I didn't quite 
see going through that period, especially as, you know, you go through so many different periods of development during that life cycle, right? So I mean, you got married at 22. So if you think about all the growth elements between 22 and 25, 25 and 30, 30, right? It's just the speed up there. So I think a lot of my formation of my identity was really built around being married or being a father, that kind of thing. But when I went to the weekend, that was a time where yeah, I could definitely see there were some issues that really had to be dealt with. And there were my issues. And I thought things were getting better the last four years. But I think there's, as we've separated and we've had more time apart, you know, I've seen a lot of aspects where we weren't on the same page with a lot of different things, particularly of our goals and the way we dealt with certain problems, the way we dealt with communication, certainly some of the effects that I had on her for years. Because when I was younger, I didn't know how to communicate well. I didn't know how to really deal with issues or take accountability for things. And I was just a lot of ambition and ego. I had a lot of things going on that, you know, serve me professionally in other ways, but don't always serve a marriage. But I look at it as we made it 16 years. So that's better than a lot of people do. But now I'm in a whole new world of, of dating and other things, which is a whole nother creature on its own. And so it's been over four years since we did the Mankind Project New Warrior Adventure Training Weekend. Mm -hmm. And that is where we met. And do you remember what struck you that weekend? What hit you with the biggest impact then? Yeah. So I think there was a few parts of it. One part of it I don't want to share, but there was so many different elements of reconnecting me to both that inner child, finding that interior joy, a metric of accountability and kind of a process and a way to deliver that. The emotional intelligence, you know, I found growing up the way I did, and I think for a lot of men, especially in New England, you know, you're allowed to be pseudo happy. You've talked about this on your show many of these times, right? So I'm going to say it anyway, but you know, you're allowed to be pseudo happy, too happy, and you know, you're weak. You can be sad for very specific moments and occasions. Anything more than that, you just got to get out of there. You just can't do it. It's not allowed. You're not allowed to be afraid. And anger is widely accepted, you know, and that's just in my world, anger was always on top. So I would bucket things like fear into anger. I'd bucket sadness. I remember a week after the weekend, I was going up to see a good friend of mine in Vermont. I was going to one of the I groups. So for those who don't know, Mankind Project has these different men's circles and some are open to anybody and some are for people who've gone through the weekend, but there are opportunities to talk through some stuff. And we have a whole bunch of ways that we help men understand what's below the surface. But I remember going up to trying to get up there and there's a freak snowstorm and it just everything on my appointments went late. Traffic was crazy. I just couldn't get there. And I remember pulling over and being like, what the? And just started dropping a lot of anger. And then I also had this moment of like, oh, wow, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Disappointed, sad. I'm sad. And it was this connection that I had never made before. So I think fear played that way too. I, I found I had a lot of anxiety and I didn't realize how fear was playing out in my life. And so there was a lot of different elements that I got from that weekend where I could see how I've been bucking these things up into anger and reactivity. Also don't serve a marriage by any means or a lot of other friendships or relationships. It worked fine with the guy friends of mine because they all did the same thing, right? But it didn't necessarily work with some of my more chirp relationships in there. So that was one big thing. And the other part was just this understanding the shadow beliefs I held about myself of not being good enough and not being worthy of things. You know, I've been pretty successful career-wise in life. I mean, I don't know. I had houses. I had a good source of income. I make good money. I 
have helped a lot of people. I've got a pretty good practice. I've got great kids, you know, and I was married for 16 years, which I saw as a success. I knew there was issues, but I still thought that was. So oftentimes I would look at that world and be like, I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough for it. So that would come up quite a bit. And I think it shaped a lot of the identity that was kind of posturing around us because if it felt like I didn't deserve it, then I didn't necessarily show up authentically. It was like, oh, I, I belong here. So that was just something that was kind of there. But yeah, that all came to me for that weekend. That was a long answer. but And are those the things that stick with you most today? Or is anything else, did you realize years later, oh my God, it, you know, went back to that weekend or a lesson that mattered more later? Yeah, I think the idea that these beliefs that we hold underneath, there's the behavior and there's the belief underneath that and the shadow behind that, that's actually driving all those things. So I used to always try to just treat the behavior. And if I can't treat the stuff underneath that, I can't change that behavior or I can't do it for any elongated piece of time. I've continued my work with the Mankind Project for the last four years. I've staffed quite a few times and you know done a lot more of the advanced trainings. And so I've gotten so many more elements that have helped me work through that. And it's interesting too, you know, talking about the divorce and kind of some of the transition the last year and last couple of years. Before the divorce, a lot of the work I was doing was still trying to be a better husband or a better father, better worker, better, you know, whatever. And none of it was really not necessarily directly to be a better man, me individually, Sean, right? It was always my identity was so tied to being a husband, being a father, you know, being professional. Like there was just things I was attaching to. So all this work was to try to preserve those things. And now in the last year, particularly last six months, a lot of the work that I'm doing now is really on me. And it's just an interesting dynamic in the way that I feel like I'm growing. I see it. Growth and responsibility and taking things on. And, you know, it's been really, it's been really cool. Because there are a lot of, you know, met a lot of guys that weekend. Not didn't stay in touch with a lot of them. A lot of them just go to the weekend and just kind of maybe they just drift back into how they always were. You know, the changes might be too much or what they learned about themselves. They just rather retreat from it just to guess. But so what makes you keep staffing? What do you get from that? Oh, I can't wait for this pandemic to be over. That's probably the number one thing I'm excited about is if getting back to this world, I can get back to staffing because there's a joy in that. You know, I remember you had shared your experience. I were out of faith. I don't know if you did it on this channel or just on your regular feed, but you know, when you go through the weekend, you know, I don't want to speak too much outside of it, but it's a lot of discovery. And then you're kind of going through this process that's that's really structured and a lot of thought and intelligence is put into the way it's created to help men become the man they need to be, find their vision, you know, understand their emotions, understand their beliefs and confront some of these wounds. It's a beautiful thing. When you get the opportunity to be on the other side of it, where you're not a participant, but you actually see all the structure, you see the complexity of it, and you see the way that men show up. And then you get to see those men later on in life and you can see the changes that they make. It's just, it's great. And for yourself personally, Every weekend I've staffed, I have walked away from it in a deeper way of knowing myself or some other truth or something else comes up. Because there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of responsibility. The men who staff, you know, they put, I mean, just so much energy into it. There's so much prep work way before. I mean, some people's 
roles and responsibilities start six to nine months before it even happens. And then they get there and there's just a million things going on at once. And we're trying to really put together something that's, that's meaningful. So a lot of stuff comes up and there's a lot of men that are involved in this process. So you get a lot of, you know, people's shadows showing up and their feelings and their emotions, you're responding back and you're projecting and all kinds of things. So I just learned so much. The projection is another thing too. I learned, by the way, this idea that the thing I see in you, I see in me. And sometimes that's gold from guys that you kind of cower from. And then there's other times where like, like that guy, and that's really the stuff you look at him is like shit that's in me. That's right there, you know? So anyway, so I, for me, every time I staffed, I've gotten so much for it personally. And I love being able to give as well because other men gave to me. So it's just fun. And it's also fun when you run into people that, like you said, sometimes you don't see them that much. And then you run into them somewhere and they're like, oh, you were that guy on that weekend. That changed my life. You're like, oh, it's freaking awesome. You know, I wish everybody would take the time to either do that or even come to one of the groups because I just, I don't know, I feel like there's a whole world of men who need healing. I've said it many times that if, you know, if I was king of the world, the Mankind Project weekend would be mandatory. It'd just be the initiation <laughs> of men, which is what is needed. It's, yeah. it's what our society has lost. And one of the reasons I believe it impacts us so much because it is a, a refresher course in ourselves, in masculinity, in tribe, in community, and just in all these things. Because yeah. the biggest thing I got, well, one of the biggest things I got was that to trust other men. Like, and I didn't realize that was an issue until I was there. Like, I'm like, I don't think I've ever been at a thing with just men. And it was, yeah, it was, that made it an extra level of being powerful for me. But yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. And how's that changed us now that, now that you... I'm assuming you trust men more now than you did then. Has that changed like your support network or have you reached new levels of support as a result of that? Ah, yeah. It was funny talking about like friends becoming guests, guests becoming friends. I discovered the Man Time Project through the show. It was like episode you know, 20. I talked to <laughs> the boys and the head of communication mm -hmm. and he treated me enough with the weekend. And then I found out, oh, the weekend is happening in a month. 30 miles from my house. I'm like, all right, everything is lining up. So, you know, did it, dove in. And yeah, it was a much bigger impact than I expected. And I've stayed involved, not to the level that you have been, but I keep referring people to it. I keep getting things from it. I'm involved in an I group since the pandemic started, mm -hmm. um, just because I had that gave me the gift of time. Yeah. And being everything being virtual. Oh, good. I don't like I'm just in kind of this dead zone. Like it's just annoying enough to have to get right. far enough to get to a meeting. I'm just that far out of Boston. But yeah, it's just tremendously valuable and more people going through it. And I keep meeting new brothers. There's not quite a secret handshake, but there's something like, oh, hey, I know, yeah, you're a new brother, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's cool. It's like, a, yeah. it can be as hidden and secretive as you choose to make it or not, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, some of that sometimes bothers me in a sense, there's part of me that loves it and there's part of me that gets bothered by it because I think it could be off-putting to men who are, you know, it's a big enough risk to, to do a weekend and on its own thing. But when you have to challenge like the idea of like the secret society type of thing, and it's just another level of resistance for men to go to it, right? But the reality is, you know, a lot of why that is, is because number one, our relationship has continued. And I think it's pretty strong because we had that shared experience that was meaningful and huge. And I think the need for privacy and confidentiality in both on the weekend and also in the iGroup meetings, you know, also contributes to that in a positive way because you need to have that level of safety to share. You know, there's stuff that I bring to my iGroup that I don't want out there because it's my stuff that I'm working on internally. 
and it's buying the share if I want to, but I don't need that broadcast in some other way. So it does, I think that on its own can kind of contribute to that kind of like secret organization stuff. But you're right. There is just something about it, you know, and you know, talk about trusting men, but I don't think I would have gotten through this last year. I won't say quickly, but just where I'm at now, if it wasn't for the support and network of other men, I mean, it just, you know, both in and out of the mankind project. Some of those guys helped me tremendously. Some guys down in New York and some guys in central mass and Connecticut and a little bit further up. I mean, they just, they've constantly been in my corner and that's been huge, you know? And then some of my guys from, you know, the cigar shop and other stuff, they've just been fantastic. They're like brothers as well, you know? And I miss that. I miss seeing them physically. You know, I just do. It's just, there's like, I love being with people, you know, and I love being with people who are, are men of integrity and they're true to who they are. And I love that. You know, you're into cigars and you do a lot of woodworking and some amazing craftsmanship. Is there anything you do now as an adult male that, you know, you taught somehow was not manly or wasn't cool to do when you were growing up? You know, probably some of this work in some way. It was weird. Like the message growing up was twofold, right? So I had the, the, the message I would get from my parents and you get the message you get from the broader society and both are competing with each other. In my house, it was never really a thing of like, you know, you're weak if you do this, you're weak or that. I think there was a little bit of that, uh, you know, men get stuff done and punch it, you know, get punched, you know, be a man, don't rub it kind of thing, you know, but also if you did break down or something, it it wasn't like you weren't necessarily shunned for it, but I grew up with two Marine Corps parents, strict. There was expectations. I grew up in kind of a really conservative household. So, you know, there was quick consequences for stuff and there was pretty defined lines. And so I tried to push those as much as I could, especially through my teenage years. But then you get the message on the outside of when you're trying to make connections with other friends and social circles and all that stuff. And you're getting another message that says, you know, don't cry, don't be weak. You know, so I think, but as far as, behaviors or stuff, maybe meditation, you know, that's one of those things that was definitely, you know, even at times I'll be like, oh, I meditate, but it's not weird. You know, <laughs> like I still feel this like thing to throw on top of that because it has a certain piece to it. This work, I mean, talking about this is I've got some of my friends from the church, other places that I still think they look at as cult-like, which is just the most frustrating thing in the world because it's just so clearly not. I've done advanced trainings. There's nothing here that's cult or at odds with any kind of religious belief. So yeah, it's, about it. it's really more welcoming than people might think or whatever, you know, talking earlier about, you know, fear not being allowed and everything being called anger or being used until it, you could call it anger and be free with it. What's always made me marvel about, about men and how we're conditioned is that if fear is wrong, if we're not supposed to show fear, we can't be afraid of anything. Well, then we're afraid of that happening. Yeah. So we're living in fear in our denial of being afraid ever. And it just makes no sense. <laughs> and when you live that way, you become reactive, right? Because you're, you're programmed to quickly, I feel the fear, I have to, re- that flight, flight thing just takes over. And depending on which side of that you take, you know, you got the guys who will run away from an argument and just shut down and hide. And then you got other guys who are like right in the thick of it. I'm the guy who was always, I mean, my buddy, Cardell and I were like, we'll, until four in the morning, we'll be yelling at each other. But like, we're like, we're always right in the middle of that conversation. You know, it's, the, <laughs> you can always count on us to be talking. But I think that, that sometimes that comes out the wrong way, especially in relationships. I mean, how has it played out for you? And, and you've been married for a long time, Lori, right? Yeah. 
Lori, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make do the math. Uh, yeah. I think it's 23 years. So how has that played out with you then? I mean, the fear piece of that. I mean, I know that you kind of had some realizations at a younger age with some of these, as you shared, particularly fear and sadness. That I think I didn't do that work until, you know, four or five years ago. Has any of that transformed in the way that you showed up within your marriage? Oh, sure. Anytime you grow, it changes how you show up and everything. Yeah. So, you know, my parents got divorced when I was really young. Me and my wife, neither of us wanted to have children. So we met, it was like, oh, great. And once we were married for like, you know, five or seven years, everything was great. But I was like, well, all I got to look forward to now is death and divorce. Like, which is it going to be? You know, I really did that. I thought, well, there's no, there's nothing else. And, you know, luckily I found a lot of other things and that, you know, and found the, the growth in spirituality and men's work and the podcast and coaching and all everything I do. But everything I do with people is something that I learned to save my life and to not live. And that definitely impacts marriage. But when I got married, I wasn't into any of the stuff that I'm doing now. So it's really amazing that my wife sometimes followed me to make sure whatever I was doing was okay. And sometimes like right there with me, sometimes leading. But uh, yeah, I don't think either of us were very spiritual. We were both just working in high tech and now we're both doing jobs of, of service. So we really, you know, at different times pushed and prodded each other to keep growing. And I find that's what makes a marriage work. So many people, you know, they had a difficulty and like, screw this, I'm out of here. Like, just give up fast. So the whole fight or flight. Well, do I want to keep fighting my wife or do I just want to flee this? Like, fine, I'm done. But there's more. There can be such a deeper bond when you both do that inner work. When you both look at yourself, look at the wounds, realize what your projections are. And so you might do that and realize, yeah, we still, we've changed so much. We, we aren't a good fit. But at least it's not, you know, fuck you, you suck. Everything's your fault. It's not one of those experiences of a relationship. And I'll say that in my situation, you know, it's been relatively non-toxic in terms of the divorce itself. You know, it's been pretty amicable. We're still on pretty decent terms. You know, we're not, we're not having Sunday dinner together, but you know, we can have conversations. Sometimes they do get heated and sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's still my, my work on that part. She's been pretty good about handling it. And there's some things that, you know, you know, there's two sides to everything. Right. But with our kids, I think because we've both done so much work on ourselves I do think that we're able to be really good co-parents. And that's where a lot of the transition is. That's still one part of the work that I'm doing is, you know, still I tied to like the father piece is still going to be a constant, right? So I still want to do the work to be a better father, but it's starting with me obviously more now. But as a result of that, though, I think it's, it's made a much better situation than a lot of the marriages I see, you know, divorces. I don't want to use my parents' example, but, you know, that got pretty bad for a while. And I've seen so many divorces over the years that just get really toxic really quickly. And I'm thankful that we've both done our work and we've, we've been able to keep it from that. Yeah. Like my parents' divorce was very angry and violent and police and attorneys, and there was no civility in it all. So when I got older, my first friends started getting divorced and they were like best friends and they all were like, well, we get along better now that we're divorced. Like, that's an option. Like, that's the thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> so good on you making it where, and yeah, I'm not just choosing to meet just, you know, hate and blame because that doesn't help anyone. And I do get to tell you what you display to the world with your daughter's it's beautiful. Like it's just how much you love them and enjoy time with them and whatever they're up to. You just seem so supportive and loving. And yeah, it's, it, I just find it beautiful. I just, I wanted to remember to really tell you that. Thank you. And I love, I do love them and I appreciate that. They make it easier too. I mean, my kids are 
incredibly deep as well. And I think that's another piece that is helpful in this because sometimes even my daughter will be like, Daddy, it's okay. <laughs> like she'll still be down a little bit. And you know, other times though she's extremely willful and the other one is too. But you know, it's just it's a whole thing. Thank you. And so you did mention that you're dating again now. So is this the first time you're dating since like college or high school? You know, it's funny. I barely dated before. You know, it's just kind of like the way things work. I talked to girl, but I just, I had no game, as they say, right? I was always, you know, I had some different girlfriends. Many of them cheated on me in high school, but none of those are built to last in the first place. But yeah, active dating. I never really did that. I never had to go out and chase and meet people. I met my wife at the time or ex-wife now pretty early. And I kind of knew that that was going to happen. So now it's, I keep making the joke. It's like, it's like being a wild animal in the Sahara, like a lion or something. And then being brought to like a rescue place for like 20 years. And then like, okay, we release you, but we're going to put you in the safari and a whole new climate ecosystem. And we expect you not to die. (laughs) And that, that is a big part of like this whole thing in between dating. I bought a new house, being on my own. I mean, just so much has changed. And just, I mean, the dating piece is just a whole other animal on its own anyway. It's just, there's a lot of mistakes to get made pretty early on. I mean, I think the first one I dated, you know, I met online, which is the only place you can meet right now. <laughs> like probably in the, within the first week, I made her cry on the phone. It's just like, I guess this can't be right. <laughs> I, I said something stupid. I just, it just didn't come out right. And I don't know. It's a weird thing. I'm talking to somebody now that's getting a little bit more serious, I think. But, you know, you never really know, like, the part that's weird in the post-world dating is the idea of taking your time with it and just enjoying it. Because for me, you know, I was always taught, you you get married. So, like, so that's always in my track of mind. And that's not necessarily helpful right now where I'm trying to reassess what's important to me and what I value and what I want in a partner and what they want in me and all these different, and everyone's got their own baggage and their own situations now too, especially being older. You know, most of the people I'm talking to are upper thirties, early forties, you know, so that's a whole nother world on its own, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I could be single for the rest of my life. I don't know. <laughs> Is it more nerve wracking now or when you were 16? I feel like I'm 16. It's the same nervousness. You know, I had one person that came over for dinner and I was just terrified the whole time about making the food and stuff. And I'm just like between making sure the food came out right and all my neurosis with that. And then also she has a good times is going right. What's supposed to happen? Do I kiss her? Do I not kiss her? Do I ask? Do I not? Do we watch the movie? Am I supposed to point out? Like all this shit. It's just like, it's like all that pinwheel stuff going through my head. There's no good like answer to any of it. You just experience it and see what happens, you know, and it's either going to work or it's not. The nice thing I found with this is that I feel like my mindset is healthier than I was 16. When I was 16, I needed her to like me. And now it's like, okay, if this doesn't work out, it's not a reflection on either one of us. You know, it's just a, we have different values and different things we need. And when the relationships that have happened, when we've broken up or stopped talking or whatever, it, it no longer felt like an attack on me. You know, it's just like, oh, okay, didn't work out. Let's move on. Where I know at 16, it was like, oh my God, I need this person to think I'm amazing. And if I didn't get that, it was like, I'd spiral in on myself. And it was like, oh, I'm the bad one. I'm the problem. I'm the whatever. And it's not always the case. What's top of mind that you wish more men knew? I wish more men were humble enough to go and get help. Even when I started doing therapy, the therapy was the opening door to be able to get me where I'd accept an invitation to go to the weekend and do that work. But if I had done that either in college before I even got married or in their first few years of marriage, 
we may have still eventually gotten divorced. We may not have been right for each other. or might be different values or whatever, but we probably would have made it a lot further and it probably would have been a lot healthier. You know, so I think that my pride and my fear of doing that work or what it's going to look like or fear of judgment, right? I mean, I think that's probably the thing I wish most men would allow for themselves is the humility to kind of do that work. I see it in so many men, even great men that I love. I can still see like there's a lot of the stuff I love about them is still founded in wounds that they're trying to outrun. And I just wish that more men at an early age would do that. So that's probably the biggest thing. Looking back, everything you've gone through, the ups and the downs, what are you most proud of? I keep getting back up. I mean, that's the thing you've talked about before too, but in the darkness of massive, when your world is just flipped upside down and just shredded apart and your, your identities are being shredded apart. Once you lose that identity, you lose that ego, some dark thoughts come up, you know? So I think, unfortunately, men every single day in their journey. So I'm proud that I keep getting up, you know? So that's probably one of them. I'm proud that I found myself, or at least I found a belief I've been able to hang on to that I'm enough. And that's something that I spent most of my life not believing. And even if I catch it, I catch it for a very short window. So that means I've done a lot of the healing work underneath. So I think those are probably the two things that I'm, I'm most proud of. You know, and I've got a lot to look forward to. I mean, my, I've got a new home that I do like. I've got a great dog. I've got my kids. You know, I'm creating structure and figuring out ways to gradually get more and more into this new role and a new way of facilitating this role. So I'm pretty proud of those things. Cool. What about you? What am I proudest of? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, very similar to you. Like, just, I'm still here. That all the times I thought I gave up on myself, I actually hadn't. Recognizing what I often labeled as weakness was actually strength. So yeah, it's all mindset. It's all our framework. And I find that nobody talks to anybody as horribly as they talk to themselves. And until you're aware of that, you can't even change it. So yeah, so I love discovering that I'm wrong. I love discovering, oh, and that I, you know, there's always more. Right. And I used to hate that. Like, fuck, there's more. I don't want to do more. Yeah. I'm like, oh, good, there's more. Like, <laughs> Every know. once in a while, you're like, can I just go back? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's like the more awareness you have with it, the more work it's, you know, is required. Because yeah. you start to see, okay, there's more and more of these behaviors that just have to change. And yeah. it's me that has to do it. You know, I can't keep blaming anybody else. I usually sit in a more positive way of like, there's more potential. Like, there's more good. Not that, oh, there's not that there's, oh, there's more shit I got to fix. It's like, oh no, there's so much more I can do that there's more that can be done. There's more, you know, positive things I can be a part of, right? There's more good change as yeah. opposed to just change happening to us and being reactive. Still a part of my my psyche that hasn't fully switched over yet. I'm really working on, especially last year, you know, you can be a real big sourpuss about everything, you know, especially in the world that, that we're in, right? And I really try to change it to be more grateful, more gratitude, but it's still a tough, like you said, this is the way we phrase the same statement. Right. Yours is coming from a much more like, look at all the opportunities there. And mine's like, God, look at all this freaking work I still got to do. I look at that mountain peak is still way up there. And it's a lot of work to get there as opposed to maybe you might look at it and say, oh, this is great. Look at these views. I get to see these views for this extra period of time, you know, and that's still a thing that I struggle very deeply with is switching that because, you know, it's part of, I think, that Irish tradition, New England Irish, you know, where it's just like they have the glasses half empty you know, or not even full. The best we can get to is it's not, it's not full. It's not half empty, but it's not full. You know, it's a, so I've gotten to the place where like, sweet, I have a glass. 
Like, yeah, I'm out like that, but that's, that's the biggest switch. Yeah, I'm still not there. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> right? You know, for a long time, I didn't have any sort of goal, and that's not fucking a good life, right? So, yeah, if you discover that you like your glass, discover you like the view where you are, they're all decisions that only you can make. And I think that's the beauty and the power. Like, that's male authenticity, deciding, no, what, where I am is fucking great. I like it. There's more. I'm more places to go. But right now, this is great. I'm I'm proud of myself. I'm happy with myself, not just oh I suck. I think that's the piece to look at too as well, is because you're you're happy with this moment right now. When I think about the times where I was really more optimistic or more forward thinking, I was always happy with where I was going to be. It wasn't happy where I was. It was like so kept me appearing to be optimistic, but really I wasn't. It was just like this time is shit, but it's probably a better time ahead. But it's just like, I couldn't find joy in just the simple moments. Yeah. And joy is another choice. But yeah, we've been conditioned. Oh, no, joy's not for men. Joy. What are you talking about? At best, you can be okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think there's that or it's it's got to be enhanced in some way to access it. You got to be drinking. You got to be pushing really hard. You got to be working like crazy. You got to be really successful. You got to be fucking the hottest person or whatever it is. I don't know if I'm spraying your show or not, but whatever. It just That's the point is like, it has to be enhanced in some way to be approved by the other peers. Yeah. So. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share? Anything, any other thing you want to make sure? Send me more Sean wisdom. No, you know, the only thing I was, I kind of left out, but one of the things that is also surprised and it comes back to the accountability relationships, but as I've gone through this process too, it's, I've been surprised at the number of things that I wasn't doing within my relationship with family and my own personal life that I was allowing my partner to do instead. So like I've gotten so much closer, I think, with my sister and my brothers and my cousins and you know, certain people in my family, my father, even my mother to them. Like I've gotten closer because I've done more work connecting with them because I couldn't hide behind. Well, she's going to set this up or she's saying like, she's getting this together. I've taken the responsibility of doing it. And that's been a really beautiful thing too. But I don't think it would have came about if I hadn't done a lot of this work. I think it would just been like, oh, we got the relationships and, but not really put the time and energy into it. So, but anyway, that's, I guess that's it. I don't really have anything else. You know, I came on just to kind of talk with you and I love your show and I love this work. And I, I appreciate that you taking the time and the dedication to it. I always enjoy every time we get together, every time we talk, if it's just for a couple minutes or longer, I look forward to staffing with you. We will staff, but haven't, yeah. haven't done it together yet. And yeah, it's good. Like I, shortly after the meetings and, and noticing your name showing up more and more. And I was like, oh man, he's sticking with it. He's doing stuff. I felt so proud of you for you being as active as you become. And I just want to, too many of us, we all like, we don't say that enough. You know, don't tell, hey man, I see you yeah. and you're doing fucking awesome. So that's really what, yeah. My secret weapon, my secret weapon, my secret plan for Ben, I've invited you multiple times. We've been talking about doing this show together for quite a while. And it was to let you know yeah. that I think you're fucking awesome and you're doing great work and make that public. And, I, and since you are doing that, I knew that everything you might share, your vulnerability, your growth is going to inspire other guys too. Well, cool. thank you. Awesome. Thanks for joining me, Sean. Thanks everyone for listening. Visit realmenfield.org. The blog post for this will have plenty of links to Mankind Project, to the past shows where I've talked about it, if you want to know more about it. And if you want to know more about that and other places to make more male friends, check out realmenfield.org slash gift. There's an entire, I think it's a four-page document of different places you can meet other men, but lots of opportunities for your growth, for your connection, for community, really all the things that make life worth living. So keep living, keep listening, keep sharing, and be good to yourself. 